Uh, what up, guys and girls? It is Bobby and Sean, and we're back, baby. Every two we're weeks, back. two weeks. Every two weeks, you will get this uh, most excellent podcast. So don't watch any news, don't follow any sports, don't even report to your chain of command. Just wait. Every two weeks, we'll tell you what you've missed or what's important. Yeah, biweekly check-ins. Speaking of which, James is not on with us today because he is doing his own client check-ins. Uh, so we are down to a twosome today. Oh my god! Just like, like, like old times. It's no longer our thruple. It's our double. Uh, quick question before we get into the deep topics: If you had to choose between having a house full of human-sized ghost spiders or spider-sized human ghosts, which one would you want? Spider-sized human ghosts. A human-sized spider would be terrifying. Right, but I mean, they can't hurt you. It's it's just an invisible ghost. After a while, I think it'd be like a cool, almost ghost dog that would just kind of chill. Like if you had this giant tarantula just hanging out on your lap or something. Obviously, there would be some like maybe like Ghostbusters-esque goos that would come out, but it could never hurt you. But then I don't know how many spiders I've got in my house. I'm assuming there are a lot. There are probably way more than I think. So there might be way more big spiders than I was anticipating versus spider-sized human ghosts. Like, I'm not going to see them, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean... Would their voice change then? Do you think if the if, if the spider-sized human ghost, would they have, like, the, the super high, you know, almost oh, cartoonish so. voice? Yeah. And would that be audible then? Because that would be, be the other pain in the ass. If you were sleeping and all of a sudden one of these things came up next to you and just started you know, chatting your ear off. Yeah, I think the it'd have probably have like a higher voice, like the cartoonish, but I mean, I just would rather not be able to see them rather than, you know, having a big ass ghost spider. Right, yeah, because I think I'd be also be freaked out if I just walked downstairs and flipped on the lights and Fred was, you know, hanging out on our countertops. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I, I Fred is the name that. of the spider that that'd be chilling in the house. Yeah, I can't do spiders. It's like uh the movie A Legged Freak. Do you remember that movie? Which one? Eight-legged freaks. Oh, I never saw it, but that that was one with um David, uh, I, I the dude from the sc- screen movies. Yeah, I can't tell you who was in it. I just remember watching in theaters, and I was like in elementary school and being terrified of the large spiders. I don't yeah. like spiders personally. Oh, dude, I spiders and snakes. I absolutely hate. I got a snake tattooed on my chest. I don't know why, um, but. You know, chalk it up to life lessons. Um, speaking of life lessons, too, we're this is a fitness podcast um, and all around news podcast, I guess. You've lived in New Jersey. I live in New Jersey. What would you say are the worst type of truck owners in New Jersey? If you had to like just narrow it down to a single brand, I would say like the Ford Raptors. For some reason, people will drive Ford Raptors in New Jersey. Yeah, I'd say Ford Raptors. Ford Raptors is up there. I think historically speaking, I hate the Dodge Ram. No offense to our great friend Daniel, I hate Dodge Rams. Every single time I'm driving very safe with my baby in the backseat, it's always a Dodge Ram that's coming up behind me that, you know, is three or four inches higher than necessary. It's got the four by four, the Hemi, and it's going incredibly fast. And it's New Jersey. It's not like you need that truck in New Jersey. Like what? What? What do you need that four by four capability for? Like you, you going up to Wawa Fest this year? Like, is that really gonna break your, uh, 
your, your snow out. Like, I, I don't get it. I don't know. I think the uh, the Dodge Rams are usually work trucks. That's how I think of Dodge Rams. But, like, a Ford Raptor is, one, not a work truck, and, two, no. you're not riding, you know, driving up sand dunes in New Jersey or, like, using the, the true 4x4. No, and I think the the Raptor, while it is a very good-looking truck, like, I, I know you've got an F-150. I love your truck. The Raptor, even any of those, like, high-end trucks... I don't understand why you would purchase them because if you're getting a truck, I think there's an implicit, I'm going to go camping. I'm going to take this thing outdoors. Whenever I see people get the Ford Raptor, it's always just like a commuting car. Like I just wanted a truck because I've got an inferiority complex, like not, not practical. You're not using it for, for why it was designed. That's what I'm saying, man. Yeah. Okay. I'm convinced the the Ford Raptor, and, it, you know, again, I, I've got a Subi, so I'm pretty cool. I think uh, I think I'm allowed to judge because I've also had a Ford truck. I had a Ford Ranger um, way back in the day. Ranger are pretty sweet trucks. Those are sweet trucks. They are. I think they're they're one of the best trucks ever made. Um, if only people that drove Raptors could just upgrade to the to the Ranger. How do you feel um, about the uh, uh, the Jeep Gladiator? Because those are also pretty high on my list of like terrible trucks. Jeep. What's the Jeep Glad? Is that the the, the Wrangler? Wrangler oh, so stupid. <laughs> Beyond stupid. That is I'm trying to think of like dumb things that have come out in the last couple of years that are worse than that. Uh maybe the new Ford Bronco. The Ford Bronco is just as dumb as that Jeep because Neither one of them do what they're supposed to do to begin with. The new Ford Bronco looks like the Jeep Renegade. You it, about those, well, there's two Broncos. They have the Sport, which I agree looks like ass because it's like the Jeep Renegade. But yes. They have like the other Bronco, which looks pretty pretty sweet. Have you seen the, the old Bron- school Bronco is the best. The, the one that, that Dwayne The Rock Johnson has in, in Walking Tall. like That is the pinnacle of cool trucks slash functional or he might even have a 250 in that i'm not even sure like that style the box here it's bigger the the new ford bronco when it was advertised i remember seeing it going oh this is going to be a massive vehicle like the the h3 i thought they would just be big and then you go and you see them and they're tiny it's like the size of a pt cruiser like it looks stupid it it looks like they designed a car for someone that's five foot six yeah, but the the new Bronco, the two door, the Sport doesn't look very good. But the four door looks pretty sweet. Uh, well, I have to you have to take up. a you look it up. The four door yeah. looks pretty sweet. We almost bought the four door, but it's like seventy grand for a new four door Bronco. Oh, it's ridiculous how expensive cars are. The the Jeep Grand Cherokee Wagoneer is like ninety five k. The and Wagoneer Grand Wagoneer. Yeah, the, yeah. The wagon yeah, yeah. And, and the back is like as big as the the Chevy Suburban. Like there's there's no space back there. Like you can put up a third row, but your you, your third row passengers are hitting their head on the back windshield. Um but yeah, that was if you've checked into your regularly scheduled Cronus Fit, this is now what our podcast is divulged into. We're talking cars. Uh, we're 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 real gearheads if you can't can't tell. Yeah, speaking of cars my truck might be kind of fucked up i uh took it into the shop because it the heat stopped working like we're just blowing out cold air yeah 
and then they told me that uh they they like puts more f uh coolant in and then they told me that um my gaskets are need to be replaced and they how many miles me. do you have on that you that thing is only like a 14 isn't it it's a 13 and it's got like eighty six thousand miles on it i mean i would think that your truck should be uh way better than you know failing on that level yeah it's, it makes no sense to me um but they said that I had to get my gaskets replaced, and it's going to cost... They quoted me $9,000 to replace my gaskets. So it's definitely not covered by warranty either. No, it's not. I called forward to see if it was covered by warranty still. It's not. That but, sucks. Uh, what, what would cause that? I don't know, because, like, it's a pretty brand new... Tr like, it's not been, like, destroyed. Like, I've driven true... Like, I have driven cross-country in it, towing twice, so... But that's still, like, shouldn't add that many more miles on it. Yeah, but, you know, you did drive it on the roads in New Jersey, and if anything's gonna fuck a car up, or a truck, it's gonna be that. And you know what? We were just talking about it. Maybe you should have upgraded to the Ford Raptor earlier. Maybe that's Maybe. what those people got out of their higher purchase prices. They don't have gaskets that break after nine years. Yeah, but it's a... Uh... I mean, even in Jersey, I didn't even put like that many miles on it because I like took the train to school every day. So like, yeah, I only and, put like. And your 10, gym was only miles. a couple miles away from your apartment. Yeah, so like I didn't. Which put is such a nice gym, by the way. Jersey. Okay, so we've had a lot of people reach out to us, um, and in particular, they asked a couple questions about Ranger School, the regiment, um, Zone Two training, some stuff about transitioning out. One question that wasn't asked, and we're still going to stay on the cars because I feel like talking about it. Do you hate people that hold up an entire parking lot just to park 10 feet closer than just like going to that next section of a parking lot and walking the extra 20 yards? Yeah, I hate it. That's the worst oh, at Costco. Costco is the worst for that. That's where I was yesterday. I was so furious. Same. I could not get in to the Dover entrance because somebody wanted to park at like that awkward angle where they have to stay in the, you know, enter exit lane so that they can just kind of glide right in. It's like there were so many parking spots to your left that you could have just quickly turned into. By the time you would have gotten out, that parking spot still would not have been available. It is no, the worst. I just don't even bother like trying to park close at anything. I just park like fairly far away. It's like empty and then just walk the extra like, you know, 20 feet. My whole uh idea around parking is from chevy chase's vacation where i park at the furthest point so that i can be the first one out and it has never failed uh i've always found that parking closest to a store one if it's busy it's going to take you forever to back out or get out because of the people walking behind the car in front of the car across the street and then you got to contend with all the cars that are backed up waiting to get into your spot that are causing further mayhem. I can't stand close parking spots. I think it's one of those things that like, unless you have a, a specific, I can't walk very far, you know, little leaflet, um, which still doesn't make sense because you're going shopping and walking around anyway, you shouldn't walk, you know, you, sh you should just be prepared to walk like a quarter mile to get to the store at a minimum. Yeah. I think it's a good commentary on like, uh, today's modern society. Although I, I, I uh, do notice, like when I'm at Costco and I look, you ever like at Costco, like look around and see the size of the people that are shopping next to you? Oh, it's yeah, it's like going to the Walmart in the South. Do you ever like uh, uh, do cart judging, like judging with these carts? 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My I've I've been a cart judger uh you know since I was a kid. Um and it's only gotten worse in adulthood. I I love going and I mean like Costco is phenomenal and we're not sponsored by Costco, but if BJ's, if BJ's is out there and wants to sponsor us, I will consider it. I will consider switching my membership. Um, Costco has a ton of fresh fruits and vegetables that we load up on every week. I can buy five dozen eggs. Um, what else does Costco have? They got a really great meat selection. Uh, so yeah, we buy in bulk, we freeze meal prep. Um, and then uh, <laughs> It's funny that you bring up Costco. We just got a blanket that's one of the most comfortable, soft blankets. I think it was for seven ninety nine. We thought it there. We thought like, oh my god, there's a, a a pricing issue here. There's no way this blanket's only seven ninety nine. We'll wait until we you know like contract anthrax or whatever was put on the blanket to make it that cheap. But it is such a comfortable blanket. I bought both my work monitors, which are like thirty two inch uh, curved screens. Um, each for like 180 bucks. They were on $50 off. They're now like 279 each. Like Costco's phenomenal. I love Costco, but I will judge the shit out of you because just like in a grocery store, 90% of the aisles that have food have awful, unhealthy foods. Yeah, it's like the classic, like things on the outside of the grocery store are healthy and things on the inside are trash. Yeah. yeah I like walking around and seeing all the trash put in their carts, like uh, just the pure trash. Well, it, it's just really bad because, one, I don't think there is a ton of education out there to begin with. Um, the constant messaging that we get that you can be healthy at every size has kind of reaffirmed people's idea that they can eat whatever they want to eat and that these notions that we've had about weight and general health have been wrong for thousands of you know years that, that humankind has been developing diets. And then when we have so many you know revolutionary drugs coming out that can either, you know, increase your metabolism at the sake of maybe your bone density or, you know, um, the, what is it? The lap band surgery, uh, lap band, lap band. I, I don't know which word it is. You're the doc. Uh, you know, the, you know, shrink, cut your, your stomach in half. So you're not as hungry. I mean, like, I think people, there's an easy button out there that just makes it all the, the, the easier to pick, you know, poor, poor ch- food choices, you know, in your twenties and thirties and then be like, whatever, I'll pay for it in my fifties and sixties. Yeah, it's definitely like the uh, it adds up slowly over time until you realize that you know, you've crossed that chasm and you're now you're fat. Yeah, yeah, and then it's it's even harder. Um, okay, so into training. Uh, James asked us to discuss zone two training. Uh, he referenced some uh, you know prior uh, BRC winners that you know really think highly of zone two because of its ability to increase your endurance, um, you know, citing kind of the limits on the the strength aspect and service and not really needing to go above a certain threshold in order to be successful. What are your takes or your take, if you only have one on zone two training? Excuse me. Uh, I think zone two training is definitely beneficial. Um, but it just depends on what you're training for, right? Like if you're training to go to ranger school, I think zone two is like training would probably be pretty beneficial. If you're training for BRC, zone two will be even more beneficial because BRC is essentially like an ultra marathon over like two days, like stretch out in two days. So, you know, there's definitely um, benefits to zone two if, on top of just the cardiovascular benefit. But let me just explain the zone trainings for anyone that doesn't understand the zone trainings. 
Sleep zones one through six or seven, seven, right? Uh, sure. Yeah, zones one through seven. One being like a walking speed, so like you're like uh you know at a walking or slow jog where you can do that for days, that kind of speed. Zone two training is a little bit harder. Um, so things like uh your that's like your aerobic zone. So probably like you know a the heart rate like one twenty to one thirty ish range. Zone three slash four is like your anaerobic threshold. Zone five six is like sprinting, and seven is like your all out like hundred meter dash type type zone. Um, so zone two training is essentially like your aerobic capacity where you're not really um breaking into like the anaerobic zone. So basically, zone two training is uh kind of all the rage right now. I know that's really big in CrossFit. Like a lot of CrossFitters are doing a lot of zone two training now because of like uh, Matt Frazier's uh, methodology. Because Matt Frazier, oh, because they're be, getting tested for endurable, so they they have to, to yeah, train up their methodology, train up the uh, endurance side. But yeah, like Matt Frazier used to do a lot of zone two training. I think that's like starting to per, per become pervasive in the CrossFit community, like the elite CrossFitters, where they're doing a lot of like zone two training um, and zone one trainings for for that matter too. But I think, you know, it all, uh, in terms of fitness, it depends on what you're training for. Like if, like I said, if you're going to like BRC or Ranger School, zone two training probably is going to be pretty good. But sometimes though, like for general purpose, physical fitness and preparation, I don't necessarily think zone two is that it should be like a cornerstone of your fit, of your training plan, if that makes sense. Like I think like one to two, like probably like one zone two, like uh, training session a week is probably enough just to get some of that um, recovery side and then some endurance. But um, I wouldn't necessarily make it the foundation of my normal training plan unless you're specifically training for something. Yeah, I agree with that. I did I did the zone training one through five when I was doing the Ironman prep. And one, I think zone the zone training methodology takes a ton of patience, a ton of maturity, uh, all of which I lack when it came to the fitness. It's the same thing that we've had a lot of individuals ask us. Essentially, I want to be able to total 1,500 on my lifts. I want to be near a professional level CrossFitter, but I also want to run an 11:32 mile uh, and be able to move in kit um, like John Wick. It's like, okay, you want to be the perfect thing. Oh, and I only have 60 minutes a day to train. Like, it, It's one of those, you want to do everything. You want to be the best at everything. And when I was doing the zone training, I absolutely hated it because I would go my normal pace on any run that I would ever do would be at the slowest an eight minute mile. When I had to do the zone training though, that dropped down to like 930. And then sometimes based on my run, I'd be looking at my heart rate and it would jack up because it was super hot or humid out. And I would be dropping that to a 10, 1030. And I did not have the humility in public to be going that slow, to look as fit as I feel like I presented to be running that slow was like the most embarrassing thing um, I can remember experiencing. And I never really, I think, gave the zone training the the chance that it deserved. Um, so I can't sit here and speak to the benefits of, oh yeah, like once I did the zone training, eventually my 10K got significantly faster. Um, I would echo that I think for basic military prep being in the army it's it's not really worth it i i think with the types of missions right now even going back to the conventional stuff uh in the mission sets 
kind of the jack of all trading, like that five mile to, you know, 6.2 mile distance is probably the best to train for when it comes to running your functional lifts. Um, and then also being able to turn around and knock out, you know, a 20 to, you know, 30 mile ruck once a quarter, like that's kind of the standard and the zone two stuff, unless you're training for, again, something specific, that's almost on a professional level, like a BRC, maybe even a selection. If you have a year out to plan for it, it's not feasible. Yeah. I would say like, you probably get more bang for your buck doing like some of the high intensity stuff that we, that we program because you can, um, you know, you still get some of the aerobic training out of doing the high intensity work without the time sucks. Like for zone two training to be truly effective, you you talk about like doing like, you know, like three or four hours a week or maybe five hours a week of zone two tra- of zone training. And I know most normal people don't have that much time to, you know, hop on a bike or go for a run for like an hour and a half a day or some shit like that. Yeah. And again, with the humility aspect, if, you know, you're using some sort of a system like Strava to track your runs and record them and people can follow them. It's like, holy shit, I don't want people to know that I ran a, a 10, 15 for 16 miles. That's, that's slow as shit. Like I'm, I'm way faster than that. So I would say in the same vein that if you're training up for a ranger school, but like you don't want to dive full on in because you don't want to lose your gains. And you, you know, people have asked us before, like, Hey, I, I still want to be able to bench 315 for 20 reps like uh you know do i really need to do push-ups it's like well yeah what's the end state if the end state's to go and and knock out 49 perfect push-ups uh that's probably not going to be practical do push-ups work on your run you're going to suffer in some regard so if you're going to do the zone two training understand that you're probably going to like lean out significantly and you know you're going to lose something somewhere else it's a good point it's always like a uh there's always trade-offs that you make with everything Especially in fitness, a lot of trade-offs. Uh, next question that we had was, is Ranger School antiquated for the 75th Ranger Regiment? Um, in terms of, like, I saw that question, but I'm not sure, like, what they were asking. I mean, like, I think a Ranger School is just, like, the get-in card as, like, the you pay, this is your entry fee to, like, participate. Not as, like, a, you know as a training event by any means it's just like a just like a check the box to see if you belong type thing yeah i think a lot of individuals kind of misconstrue rangers in the army in general um you know you could be a non-tabbed ranger in the 75th ranger regiment you are a ranger if you are ranger qualified and you've never served in the 75th you are ranger qualified but a lot of people just see ranger and just go oh ranger ranger um you know, just like I think people being airborne versus a paratrooper and being in one of the airborne units. I don't think the Ranger School piece of um, Ranger Regiment's progress for uh, its enlisted ranks or its officer ranks is antiquated at all. I think it's a phenomenal leadership school. It's kind of like that you've gotten to a point we're going to test you uh, physically and mentally. It's not going to be overly complicated or hard. But it's a standard that we can apply that shows you in very uh, different scenarios. You can adapt. Um, you can act under stress. You can give out coherent orders. You can take on different roles and responsibilities and then work with a team that you've never worked with before and then take those skills. And you can probably apply them to someone else kind of as a teach coach and mentor um, throughout your military career. So I, I think Ranger School is a phenomenal leadership program. And I think that it's great that 
you know, the Ranger Regiment uses it. Sometimes I wish like SF uh, employed it more because you see a lot of guys with the long tab that don't have the Ranger tab and say like, well, I've already gone through the Q course. Like, well, I don't need to go to Ranger school. And then you're like, well, one, you don't look fit anymore. And, and two, I think you've got a personality issue that you probably wouldn't have gotten through the course. Um, but obviously we're biased because, you know, we are in regiment and, and there's, I think, a distinction between the type of people that are in the 75th, the type of people that are SF um, and, and the, the different standards that we use to test people. Yeah, I think like uh, what comes down to a ranger school is a leadership school, not necessarily a tactics school. I mean, even from a tactic tactic side, like it's not unfair. It's like still pretty sound tactical planning. Like it's all by the book. It's all doctrinal, doctrinally based. So I don't even necessarily think it's like a bad school in terms of that aspect. I just think that ranger school is really just, especially if you talk about ranger regiment, it's just a way to punch your ticket in and so show that you have put in the time and effort and actually belong in the organization. Yeah, I think great. I think Raider School is almost like a, an extended EIB. You know, a lot of the stuff that you get tested on in EIB, you're going to have in the first week at Ranger School. Um, and then the only difference being you just continually apply that. And, you know, again, you, you take those skills that you've learned and you should be able to employ them. I know I did the way that, you know, 4th RTB trained us how to do some squad level stuff and then 5th with platoon level stuff. When... You know, I got my platoon at Fort Hood and we had, you know, free time to, to train and there was actual white space. My squad leaders and I and the platoon sergeant, we'd, we'd come up with a plan to essentially mirror that and and give these guys an opportunity to do one up level training to do some different stuff than they had seen because it was a mechanized unit. Um, in the same way that when I left regiment and I, I went to 4ID, I essentially mirrored a company live fire we did at regiment for. Um, the company live fire for ID. Like there, there's always things I think that the Ranger uh, title in general that you can use uh, to, to better other formations. Yeah. I think for the regular army, especially I think Ranger school is even more important in that regards. Cause it's really like, uh, especially for like enlisted uh, guys, uh, it's a way to instantly prove yourself to, you know, become the NCO to get the next rank to get promoted. Like, uh, but like the officer side is definitely like more for especially for combat arms slash infantry. It's like the you know participation trophy you have to do it to to move up. But especially Ibolic. Ibolic is like the longest pre ranger course that's out there. You you literally do pre ranger for I think it's now sixteen weeks. Might have even gone up to twenty weeks where you're going from team up to platoon to company level operations. And it's the exact same thing that's within the first week of every single one of the phases at Ranger School. So it's like you you really don't have an excuse unless you get injured, um, especially for infantry officers, not to be successful. But for like the non-infantry guys, I think Ranger School is a huge like uh, like resume builder. And then also like kind of, you know, it helps your career a lot uh, once you get it, especially for like the non-combat arms. It definitely distinguishes you from your peers. And if you're enlisted, set you up for a promotion a lot faster, I think. Yeah. I remember my dad was a field artillery officer. Uh, he went to ranger school. And that was just one of the big things that when he walked into an infantry formation, when you know he was doing fire support, it was like an immediate recognition of, okay, this we've gone through similar training. And it, it's weird to say, but you almost trust that person more because you know they've gone through similar hard stuff. 
Um, and not to say that if you don't have your tab, you, you aren't trusted, but from like the infantry community and the, the infantry officer side of the house, you know, that so many of your peers have, it, it's like, okay, you should be able to go get it too. Like I immediately have some connection and some bond with you because you didn't have to go get it. You went and got it anyway. And you know, here we are together. I think it's interesting you bring that up because I think the Marine Corps does that pretty well. Like TBS, the basic school, where all officers oh, yeah. go through the TBS and they'll have a shared like mental model for you know for everything. I think that's like uh, something the Marine does. The Marine Corps does pretty well. Also, the Marine Corps well, does like every infantry, or every Marine and rifleman too pretty well. Yeah, I love it. I love the fact that when you meet a Marine. Unlike, I think, in the Army, which may be part of its marketing in the last two decades, but the Marines is like every Marine is a rifleman. Like, that is drilled into your head. So you don't really think about, oh, well, there's clearly infantry Marines, there's, you know, tanker Marines. But in the Army, it's very much compartmentalized. Like, oh, you were in the Army? What'd you do? You know, in the Marine Corps, you don't ask that. It's like, oh, you were a Marine. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, you were a Marine. I get it. Um, but the army doesn't have that. Uh, and I wish it kind of did. Like, I, I wish that it was almost a requirement and it, the school's not big enough to facilitate it, but it's like, if you're combat arms as an officer on this side of the house, I think it's kind of, it should be a requirement to go to ranger school or try out. Um, but I don't know. I mean that that's always been my opinion just because I grew up with, you know, idolizing my dad and, you know, seeing that he had his ranger tab being like, all right, well, I mean, at a minimum, that's what I got to get. If I'm going to join the army, that is like, that's the standard. Even before my, before I went to ranger school the day before I talked to my sister and she goes, Oh, by the way, Sean, just remember dad went through this school as a field artillery officer back in the eighties. Um, and he went straight through. So don't fuck it up. Right. Oh, thanks. Like no more pressure. I got it. Yeah. I think, but it does require a bit of intestinal fortitude if you're not combat arms or not infantry to go get it too. Which is why I think it like uh, definitely helps out uh, with your career progression uh, if you get your ranger school or get your tab because it shows your you know peers and your peers that you're the type of person that will go above and beyond what's required of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's so impressive. It's impressive when non-infantry guys that are combat arms get it. It's even more impressive when you see guys that are like chemos uh, that have it, AG that has it. I mean, obviously there are a ton of of rangers in the 75th that aren't you know infantry mos that had their tab and you're just like holy shit the the fact that you thought about ranger school went and did it when really your branch doesn't need it like nobody looks at your branch and goes oh you know you're ag you don't need it but you went anyway i mean i think it speaks volumes about that idea of like you know personal growth challenging yourself and and going and doing something that's you know above what's required um, I think that kind of leads into the next question we had. Someone asked about like enablers uh, in regiment, and I think we can probably extend that to like enablers and soft um, and what their general fitness has been like. Uh, and, you know, I think kind of probably how they mesh with those formations. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, it depends on who you're talking about in terms of enablers. When I think of enablers, I think of like the 17th dudes, like the Air Force guys, the JTACs who are always like, quite frankly like the best that i've ever worked with uh, as far as enablers and then uh eod guys are always pretty good um you know everybody else is like organic to regiment though like your intel k9 are pretty much in, pretty much like in uh regiment 
uh, organic. So it's not really like what I would consider like a true enabler, you know? Yeah. I would say that the Air Force dudes that I've worked with, I've been super impressed by. Um, incredibly knowledgeable, usually uh, as in shape, if not more in shape, because I feel like they've, they've almost got something to prove coming in. Like they're not going to be, you know, there's only a platoon's going to go out with maybe two of them. So, you know, they're, they're definitely not going to be the ones that show any fatigue. Um, they certainly won't be the ones to show fatigue first. Um, and the one thing I'd always say too, about the enablers that I was always shocked by is, uh, personality wise, they were some of like the funniest, uh, nicest dudes. Um, and maybe because, you know, they, they didn't have too many individuals that they had to answer to with, within the company or the battalion cause they were enablers, but I mean, just the nicest people, um, so knowledgeable. They always ran incredible, uh, like hip pocket training, um, or training in general. Uh, I know our PJ did, um, between him and our medics, like they set up some absolutely awesome, um, you know, training in, in, to simulate austere environments. Uh, you know, I loved it. I, I think the enablers were awesome. I wish the big army could, could get that more often. Um, but you know, yeah, the enablers, I've, I've never had a single problem or a gripe about anyone that I've seen in 75th. Yeah, I'd say even like the enablers for 75th, you have to imagine, like they go through a selection process to get there too. So if you compare and contrast like the 17th JTACs with like the, I guess, big Air Force JTACs, there's a big difference between those two as well. Just like there's a big difference between like, you know, 1st Cav and... 75th range regiment you know you have a very different selection process so the cream rises at the top wherever you go so i think like the enablers in 75th are always going to be better than your enablers in the conventional side because yeah of the fact i think that they have to be there or have to and i think up. the eod does that too i think there's like a there's an sf eod element um you know because i've i've seen the eod that we've had that have gone out with us compared to the eod i had when i was at first cav right. um there's a there's a stark contrast maybe right. Not so much like in um, knowledge because they both, you know, were, were very competent. But I think from that, we talk of that fitness level, um, there was just a, I mean, like night and day difference between between that. Um, burnout. Uh, when's the last time you experienced burnout with like a training plan uh, and how did you get over it? Oh, I experienced burnout all the time from a professional side training side probably every the last time I did a burnout was probably like when I was really big in the CrossFit and like doing two days trying to get really good at CrossFit this was probably like four or five years ago was the last time I burnt out physically yeah but professionally uh, I can talk about burnout professionally a lot uh okay well then how do you get over burnout professionally because you've been you've been a surgeon now for what two years up there at Lewis yeah two and a half years yeah. So at what points do you find that there's a period of the year that you experience burnout or is it with your rotations or, you know, talk us through your burnout experience? So typically, um, burnout, I get probably like once or twice a year. Um, definitely like towards the end of my second year of training, I was pretty burnt out in terms of just because our second year is pretty busy. It's our busiest year, I think, and kind of a hardest year. You know, there's a lot of obligations and um, a lot of things they'd be good at as a second year resident. 
So I think that like coupled with the hours that we're working, uh, set you up pretty well for burnout. And that uh, you know, we're working, you know, essentially uh you know, like sixty hours a week on non call weeks and then up to eighty hours a week when we're taking calls. So it's like eighty hours a week every other week. So there's a lot of hours at work that you're balancing with kind of your mental health. And I kind of notice when I get burnt out, I just stop caring about things as much or I don't. Uh, I kind of dehumanize people more, uh, especially patients, like dehumanizing patients and not really taking or listening to their concerns and more so just uh, thinking about like how uh, inconvenienced I am rather than how terrible it is for the patient. And that's something yeah. that I've come to realize and come to understand about myself. And... Um, have become better addressing it really and recognizing it. Do you think your burnout is maybe lined up with like this external uh, realization that maybe like what you thought about the profession isn't there? Like it's more maybe like a combination of being tired and jaded or tired and, you know, facing uh, an obstacle and maybe not immediately overcoming it. Like do we, do we think that some burnout isn't necessary? Like you are truly just exhausted from working, but it's compounded by something else. I think it's that. I think it's like you're tired and then a little jaded just because you're tired and exhausted. Because um, there's, you know, not only just like physical exhaustion, but there's like most mental and emotional exhaustion too that you experience. Um, probably the worst part, the worst when I was most burnt out was probably um like like i said last the end of last like last june may time frame where it's just like uh you just i just like had a hard time like really caring about what's going on how did you re-energize that you know that that empathetic side of of dr bobby uh it was just kind of refocusing like um and instead of looking at like patients as work because i think you can fall into that trap of like looking at patient care, taking care of people as just like work or more tasks that you have to do. So it's like the dehumanizing aspect of it. So you can fall into that trap of dehumanizing it, but then kind of realizing that, you know, despite it adding work or tasks to your day, uh, that these are, you know, people, that these have family, like these are people with family members, like this would be my mom there or like my sibling or whatever, or my friend. And then understanding that, you know, while um it's just a normal day for me it's like the worst day for their life yeah and i think that well, uh kind of a grounding aspect helps a lot in terms of recentering myself then how did that maybe compare to what you were experiencing with your your fitness burnout you know four to five years ago with doing crossfit oh that was the, i would say that maybe i just burned out just because i was tired and like annoyed of doing that much training which is a little bit different uh you know in the hospital is a little more different in terms of like it doesn't matter as much as like <laughs> taking care of sick people. Yeah. Um, missing but, your snatch is not as big as, you know, leaving a surgical instrument in somebody's chest. Yeah. It's a little levels of, uh, of, uh, I guess implications and magnitude, but as far as like training goes, you know, I think a lot of it is just like your headspace and being able to justify it to yourself. Like, you know, I have, I'm lucky enough or unfortunate enough to have the ability to train and, the, and that I should take advantage of the time I have. And then, like, also having the maturity of, like, saying that, oh, this training session is as going as, like, where I want it to go. And, like, 
it's not worth getting frustrated or annoyed uh, with how my performance is. Rather, uh, just like um, see if you can uh, retool that session into something else, or mm-hmm. uh, take uh, you know, so making a huge like max out session, like just retooling it for like a technique session or something like that. Something where you get like some training benefit out of it without like mentally killing yourself to try and make it work. Um, or try to meet a goal that you're not, not going to meet that day. I think a lot of my burnout was tied to like improper goal setting. And it's what led me to say, okay, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to, you know, shift course. I'm going to train up for an Ironman, just do something in another extreme. And it, it was kind of irrational because I was able to train at that point during school, uh, you know, twice a day. Um, get good programming in, but because I wasn't seeing like significant jumps, I'd kind of plateaued. I think I associated plateauing with being burnt out and that it just must be my motivation that is holding me back. So, okay, if I go and I do something different for the next year, I'm going to come back re-energized. And it's like almost been even harder getting out of the Ironman training, which was now over a year and almost a half ago that I did it and trying to figure out like, why the hell am I not as in shape as I was before I started this? What program do I really want to do? What has been, you know, successful for me? Um, and it's, it's like really hard. So I feel like a lot of times for me, I've thought, oh, I'm burnt out when in reality, it's something else that's, you know, impacting my psyche when it comes to lifting. It's like, okay, I, I started doing the strength program. Well, I'm a month and a half in, I don't feel like I've, I've experienced like the, really positive growth, right? I don't see much physical change in, in my, my physique. So I just must not be in there. I must change my program now. And so it's, again, it's that lack of patience. And so, because I don't even have the patience or I'm not setting good goals, I'm thinking, oh, I must be burned out from this program, then, you know, move on to something else. And so I never give stuff, you know, the wholehearted try, just like the zone two stuff we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, it's like the training ADD that everybody gets when they're like starting out a new program and they expect it to like, you know, have drastic gains or drastic changes. But it's like that, you know, it's always like that meme of like that guy, the two people like chipping away towards the diamond, you know what I'm talking about? No. There's like that like picture of like, it's like that cartoon of a two guys like with pickaxes like digging a tunnel to get to the diamond and the one guy gives up right before he gets to the diamond and the other guy keeps going. You know, oh, is this like a? It's almost like drawn like a 1970s yeah, style. Like okay, yes, yes, yes. So yeah. like a classic thing of like, you know, you give up right before it becomes, uh, you know, starts resulting in something good. Yeah, and I, I think too, um, I think there's probably like an age uh, factor that we can associate with burnout because going back a couple episodes where we talked about like as you age, your metabolism slows, like the you know, six pack that you had in your mid twenties to late twenties is either softer or it's harder to maintain. Um, and so I think there's part of that, like I'm almost, I'm 34, uh, I'll be, you know, 35, uh, by the end of the year, it's like, I'm not getting the same results from the fitness, um, that I'm putting in. And it's like, it's exponentially harder to do stuff that I just always took for granted when I was younger. I always thought, Oh, I'm always going to be able to go and do 10 to 12, four hundreds, on uh, a 230 and you know sub 90 second quarters 
Like that, that's going to be my standard for as long as I'm alive. There's no way I'm going to really fall off that wagon. It's like, I'm very damn near falling off that wagon. And it is way harder to do 10 to 12 quarters um, at a six flat pace than it was when, you know, I could roll out of bed at 24. And it's just, again, it's hard to think that the, your body is not going to behave and respond the same way at all times. Your knees are hurting. I finish a run and my, I'm like, what the fuck do my knees hurt? Like, I didn't do anything hard on them. I just went for a run. This is what normal humans do. Um, so I think it's super frustrating. And I think a lot of what I've over, over uh, indexed as, as a burnout syndrome is more just a, you know, you're being apathetic. You need to go and just realize what are your goals at this point in life? Either how can you maintain or what are small changes that you can make rather than expecting to see, you know, huge growth transformations like you did, you know, when you were 25. Yeah, I think the whole like refocusing aspect of it is a super important key and the, the like the retooling aspect of it where or like the self-awareness aspect where you realize that, you know, things are different now or, you know, you can't you aren't the same. Your body is the same as it was 10 years ago, too. And that's like having the emotional intelligence and, and maturity to understand that and realize that and recognize that. And I think when we talk about burnout, you were mentioning CrossFit. I think that's one of those. I'm sure there are a lot of people that are listening because we have tens of thousands of you. You don't know this, but like we are on, we're, we're about to be purchased out, I'm sure. Um, but there's a lot of people I think that did CrossFit in like, you know, circa 2011 to 2015, 16 that were doing two a days that we're seeing the benefits of that training um, before I think CrossFit went like super gymnastic heavy and, you know, introducing a lot of this weird shit. Um, but then you know, never making the games, it became increasingly hard to make a regionals. It became almost impossible then to compete with the individuals that did it 24 seven. That was their only job. They were like professional CrossFitters. And so I bet there are a lot of people out there that, um, feel burnout just from switching from like a CrossFit to just doing a basic functional fitness program where you have these aspirations of, I'm going to be able to make the games one day. And then it's like, no, you will never, you have no idea how far away from the games you are. It's, it's not attainable, no matter how well you think you did in your box in the open this year, like you're just never getting there. Um, and I think CrossFit is one of those unique professional fitness industries now that I think probably leads to a lot of burnout because people just get super jaded. Yeah. I think it's not necessarily like the burnout too, but like the mental health aspect of it, I think, you know, probably plays a pretty big deal in CrossFit. Um, like that, I think that CrossFit <clears throat> and that training methodology can, you know, kind of, um, cause or, you know, have some mental health detriments, uh, cause some detriments to mental health too. Everything about like dedicate, cause like to be good at CrossFit, you kind of have to like dedicate everything to CrossFit. It's like if you're not good at the one thing you dedicate yourself to, then like how good of a person are you? I think if people can fall into that trap um, of, you know, of losing themselves in, in CrossFit. Uh, speaking of CrossFit, um, I know that we had uh, in our, our one uh, text chain we were talking about, I, f I feel like CrossFit is on like the verge of death. Um, and that, that might be speaking in hyperbole, but... What I think of the 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 prime time of of CrossFit again was that 2011 to 15. You had Rich Froning, you had Matt Fraser, you know Brett Fakowski was coming up, 
Um, it was really fun. It always seems like, yeah, there's, there's definitely the front runner, but there are individuals that are getting really good at some of these unique things. And it wasn't the same people over every single year in and out that were the only people that, you know, CrossFit, uh, uh, appeared to follow. And now it's like, I feel like CrossFit has just put all of its eggs in a couple of male athletes, a couple of female athletes, um, you know, and like the one in particular, the reason why I'm saying segueing into this is like the whole Danny Dell Spiegel, you know, quarterfinals four uh, issue with the buttery bros and the filming. Um, and I watched a YouTube uh, by a guy named uh, Andrew Hiller who like broke down, you know, how many uh, 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 what's it called penalties were were doled out for that thing and it just seems like so arbitrary and they just you know crossfit's no longer about this you can rise and fall and be somebody in the sport it's like no you're if you're not one of these like five people at this point we don't give a shit about you yeah i think there's a couple um like factors at play here i think the one the one thing that um one thing is that you know cross has become a professional sport essentially and then i think you're starting to see that now with like the um emergence of like the younger athletes like you have like a bunch of like teenagers now that are like you know, maddie Mal- o'brien yeah mal like, o'brien number one on, yeah mal o'brien yeah sorry yeah like, like, you think about like crossfit like two waves the first wave was like you know fit people that wanted to get even fitter so this is talking about like the brett Vikowski, like pat vellner chandler smith even like they're pretty fit people that like wanted that then took on crossfit to get fitter and made that a profession them and then now you have like the emergence of like the teenagers who have only done CrossFit since they were like you know since they were kids, and now become professional athletes because they grew up with CrossFit. So I think that's like the the kind of the split right now is like you have like the pre the other athletes that did CrossFit, and now you just have CrossFit athletes. That makes sense. Yeah, so I think that plays into it. It's hard to follow too because you look at like the media types in CrossFit, it's like the same people that were covering it back in the day that are covering it now for CrossFit HQ. Um, and I, I mean, it's almost like boring. It's like, I, we're going to see the same thing every single year. Um, was it Justin Medeiros has won what, two or three years in a row. I couldn't tell you anything about that guy other than he has a mullet and he's like five foot six. Um, but what I can say is like watching the, the whole, crossfit scoring debacle um it it i it just i don't know how you make that a professional sport with any standards when people are getting cut for reps on something that's like i i don't know that it's so that that's such like a, a an opinionated um you know decision that some that you know could potentially ruin someone's life for not making the semifinals or not making the crossfit games in general and then deciding when to not administer a penalty and this whole like 15% of your score gets cut instead of it being like, no, you didn't do the right standard. You're fucking out. Um, I think that's where like I draw a line with CrossFit and I used to watch like the buttery brothers religiously. I thought that was like a really entertaining thing. And then now it's just, I feel like CrossFit is really gimmicky. Um, and it's not like, it's not attainable. People, people aren't signing up for the open anymore because there's like no hope. Like, Oh no! I I'll just text you what my score was, and we can compare that way. There's no reason I need to pay twenty dollars, fifty dollars, to compete against somebody that I know it's going to be the same twenty people every single year. Yeah, I think that's uh, also a um, a factor of like CrossFit 
becoming like trying to become a professional sport and trying to take it professionally too um where it's like you know it's still like a kind of a fledging you know athlete i guess model where it's like uh you know, they derive a lot of uh, their kind of popularity from these large influencers, too, in the influencer space. So it's not, you know, the company's best interest for, like, to, like, crush Del Spiegel because she has, like, the, what, 1 million Instagram followers or whatever. Yeah. And, like, she's one of the largest CrossFit names out there. Yeah, so she was on the best Titan Games. Yeah. So it's obviously um, not, like, the, the company's, or the company has a CrossFit's best interest to, like, you know destroy her and then her to get salty and then go do something else like i don't know oh like an pants. liv like an liv tour compared to the pga like can you yeah, imagine exactly. if some saudi startup started a, a cross a cross uh a crossfit-esque you know program i would i would also say that one of the things i disliked about crossfit that i thought they were moving towards but i think they've stopped is it was always really focused on like these i almost think they were like short guy workouts um, and you saw like all the people that were successful. I think the one thing that kept Brett Fakowski from never winning the games, it's like he literally cannot move in some of these things as fast as a, you know, five foot, nothing Fraser, five foot, nothing Madero's, you know, I think Pat Vellner's larger than they are, but still short. But then they started programming in a lot of the kind of military prep stuff that we're seeing. We're going to see an oak course run. You're going to go on a three to five mile run. You're going to do a bike crit. Um, that stuff I was really excited to see. And then, you know, they throw in something weird like a fucking marathon row um, and, and they want to say we're the fittest on earth. You know what I think is the fittest on earth? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. The physical 100. There needs to be a part of the fucking games where you wrestle. Like I want to see Chandler Smith body motherfuckers. I want to see him just like that's fitness. The fitness is being able to walk into an alley in the middle of the night and beat the shit out of somebody because – your work will just never stop. You are going to outwork the other person. So it's cute that you can, you know, deadlift 550 pounds. It's cute that you can put 380 over your head. It's not cute, though, if you get tapped out in about two seconds because you don't have the mental fortitude to deal with a chokehold because, you know, somebody's driving their forehead into your neck and you don't know how to roll out of it. Like that's if CrossFit wants to come back from this and just get my opinion on it, which obviously they want it. Bring some sort of like physicality into it. Bring a put the the twenty finalists into a giant pit with one medicine ball and say, "Hey, whoever has it in an hour, you win this event." First person to like tap out or get thrown out of the ring, like negative twenty points, you're cut from the games. Like show why it's it why this functional fitness pays off. Like I think we've got a decent marketing ploy here. Our functional fitness leads to, you know, fitness results in uniform. Like when you put on your kit, when you go take the RPAT, um, when you go do the RPFT, when you get on your ruck, like these things translate to your service. What the fuck does CrossFit translate to? What, just being better at, at throwing a kettlebell in the gym and, you know, making sweat angels on the floor? I want to see tangible results. Again, bring combatives into CrossFit. That's like when the uh was it like two thousand like eight or nine when they had the softball throw and then you could see like how many athletes could have thrown. Oh how a ball. unathletic so many people <laughs> but then the, the the games they bring in like the shooting where they shoot like the air gun. Oh the biathlon one, yeah. It's like okay, the tactical games already do that shit and they're way better at it than you. Like don't make it this thing of like how can they control their breathing? Like that th- those 
those uh, uh, experiences in the world about having to translate to doing this like really extreme movement into shooting um, is, is, is so infrequent for people. What's not infrequent, though, is like a physical altercation, like just drill that's pretty, that that's, that's pretty infrequent though if you talk about the average person that's pretty infrequent. i think it's it's way more frequent than like you know responding to a mass shooter event in kit after doing 100 burpees like i think one of them will, will probably come in handy uh and be more useful than again being you know an excellent marksman uh you know, when you're tired, which I don't have a problem with. I think it's great training. I think it's awesome. There's a whole community that gets into this. I think it's really cool. If you've never seen the tactical games, like they do some really awesome stuff. It's the same stuff that like, you know, again, BRC kind of uh, built on, but for like lay people, just keep it simple. Take, take them, put them in a ring and you know, whoever pins the other person fastest wins. Like whoever gets a tap fastest wins. And let, let them throw, you know, hands, just open palm slaps, no closed fist stuff, but like make it entertaining. I, it's like, what do you, what's the point of having all those muscles? Just like, uh, you just show muscles. Fit. Just be fit. But be fit for why? Be fit for why? <laughs> yeah. Be fit for why? What, what is, what is your why? Like we already know you look good without a shirt on. Congratulations. You know, your tattoos look bigger. You are super vascular. You could wear a speedo or board shorts at the beach, but what's your your fit for? Why fit to be? You, you get punched there. in the face to be a crossfitter. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Like, if 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 you don't want to be a crossfitter, why do crossfit then? Just do crossfit. I know, but the why? Like, you should go. Like, when I walk into a gym, when I walk into my gym in my garage, it's like, okay, what is my why? My why is when one of these wacky scientists brings back fucking dinosaurs. Not only am I big enough to take an Ankylosaurus by the neck and take it to the ground, I'm also fast enough to outrun the person next to me in the frozen food aisle when a raptor decides to jump through the fucking window. These are the things that play out in my head. So what is your fitness why? If Cross can't answer the why of like, you know, being able to, you know, punch a guy in the face and stay up in the fight, like, then what's the point? To look at naked and to make money doing fitness. That's yeah, what people's whys are. Okay. <laughs> if that's your why, then just say it. Like, you know, that, that should be very, that should be the first thing that you see on like CrossFit's main page. Don't know why you're here, but damn, your Instagram's going to blow up if you can get shredded like this guy. Well, that ain't far from the I truth, don't, I don't think. That's not um, the truth. Okay. Uh, one of the last questions uh, carb loading. Um, I think we've both done RP in the past. Uh, I think there are a lot of other programs out there that you can do for free without spending like an enormous amount of money on their template. But a lot of the ones that I've seen have always been like, you know, you load your carbs up at the beginning of the day and then eventually kind of cycle off by um, the evening. Is that sustainable? Is that something that is, uh, you know, continue beyond your, you know, diet or your, you know, period? Is that a lifelong thing that you should, people should follow? I'm not sure in terms of carb loading. I've never really like carb loaded in like the classical sense of carb loading for like you know for like uh, bodybuilding shows. It's like the classic carb loading because like for endurance event, carb loading takes like a period of days to carb load to pump your uh, liver of glycogen. So I've never really done carb loading uh, in the classic sense. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how useful it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I I typically just like intuitively will have more carbs in the morning than I do in the evening. Um, and I feel like I'm just bastardizing the idea of like not eating too much at night before I fall, to, fall asleep, you know, waiting a couple hours after I wake up before I have my first meal. Like I feel like I'm just mixing up, you know, two basic uh, um, concepts. But yeah, that was one thing that a couple of people have asked us about when – When's the right time in the day to fuel? When's the right time in the day to consume, you know, any one of your macros? And Oh, oh. In that regard, I think it depends on your person, your own body type. Like, personally, I can't train with, like, food in my belly. So I almost have to, like, if I do anything like high-intensity training or any training for that matter, it has to be essentially after, like, th- three to four hours of not eating. Because I get, like, really bad, like, reflux if I, like, work out. Like, I burp shit up. Like, I burp stuff up when I work out. If I had anything heavy. So, like, if I was to have, like, a really tough, like, cardio-intense training session, I'd probably eat, like, some, like, uh, some fruit or, like, some oatmeal, something that's pretty light that doesn't sit in my stomach. And then, like, concentrate most of my calories post-training. But that's me personally. Some people do better with, like, you know, a lot of carbs beforehand for training or, like, eating beforehand training. Some people are better that way, but... Personally, I, I just know over the years that I just can't train with like anything in my belly. Yeah, I I avoid training with with food. I would eat like maybe a piece of toast with some butter um, before going to PT when you know it was like an hour and a half before you were actually going to work out. But if I eat within an hour of working out, I'm dead. I'm not. I whether it's a mental thing or an actual physical thing, I just won't be able to get over some hurdles, and I'll I'll just use that food as an excuse for why like a training period didn't go as well as it should have. When I finish a workout, though, I'm usually pretty adamant um, that like eating within 30 minutes is beneficial, uh, and at least getting you know some some you know some basic macro breakdown um, shortly thereafter, and and trying to. Uh, rebuild whatever you know muscle group that i i really worked yeah they say like the anabolic window isn't nearly as uh, influential as it was like, purported to be back in the day you remember like the everyone always said you have to get like 30 minutes or you lose your gains yeah your gains will, you'll, you'll lose them they're uh, you just wasted two hours man uh it's not nearly as like influential as people thought it was but definitely you know you should probably get most of your nutrition post-workout regardless um you know with well, the timing wise, probably not as like important to get it immediately after. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, all right. So see, so yeah, I think we covered everyone's everyone's stuff. Um, you got anything more to add before what you got anything cool coming up in the next two weeks before our next uh awesome podcast? Uh I don't really have much going on. I've got like uh I'm go oh, I'm going to San Antonio next week. Which no. I'm not looking forward to. No, why would you? I, I mean, San Antonio's like, uh, it's dirty. Yeah, I uh, have to go to a course called C4. It's like Combat Casualty Care Course, I think that's what it stands for. It's a pre-workout. It's going to be a waste of time. Yeah, pre-workout. Yeah. Well, the thing is like, it's like, it involves like field time. Where you oh, do no. like, <laughs> oh no! The docs go to the field. Oh no! <laughs> Probably gonna put your kit on backwards. I don't th- well, I don't think we have kit. I don't know like what. I had to like, buy another set of uniforms because I only have like one set of uniforms. Since they switched over to OCPs, I literally only have one set of uniform like that that I wear. 
I've been, I can't tell you the last time I actually wore my uniform. Probably like, it's oh, been like wow. a year plus the last time I wore a uniform. Hashtag uh, surgeon privilege. It's uh supposed to be, it's like kind of a waste of time because uh, apparently the point of the course is to like teach ATLS, which is American trauma or advanced trauma life support. Basically, it's like how to do trauma, like manage trauma patients or whatever. Yeah. Which we already do is surgery, like that's like our job. So like I'm going to a course that is going to teach me how to already do my job. When are you gonna do EFMB? I'm probably never gonna do it. <laughs> okay. To be honest. I felt the same way about EIB. I was like, why the fuck do I need to do this? Like yeah. <laughs> I've got my CIB and I got my Ranger tab. Like I think both of those are, you know, kind of the uh, the results of what you should be doing with EIB. Yeah. I also never had an opportunity. I would do it. But did I care that I didn't know? Yeah, it's like EFMB. If it if I'm ever if it's ever convenient for me to do, I might do it. But what I've heard about EFMB is that they the the tasks they have you do is like taught a certain way, and they want you done doing a certain way, which isn't always realistic of life. So like the tasks, it's like Ranger School though. Yeah, but like I guess I I wanted to do EIB. Um, as like a, a junior lieutenant, I think it should be one of those things that it's like incorporated if you are at Benning for either Triple C or for Ibolic. And, you know, whatever that that annual EIB period is, if you are in the schoolhouse, then the schoolhouse should set aside like the two weeks to do EIB. Um, because when I was at First Cav, when I left to go to regiment, they did EIB. Uh, so I missed out there. When I was at the 75th, when I went to go be a general's aide, they did it like a month later, missed out on it there. Um, and then for ID, I got to the unit like the week that they did EIB. Uh, so I have never, never even had an opportunity to entertain. I think it would have been like one of those things. And we say this about Ranger School, like if you want to go do it, you go do it. There were other, I think, brigades um, that I could have probably jumped in and, and done the EIB if I really, really wanted to get after it. But again, I just didn't, Is one of those things like, if they could have come out with a badge that would have been CIB, EIB, like they were talking about, or like, like they make the rifle gold, I, I was all about badges. I would have absolutely done that at that point. Like, my uniform's cooler looking? Absolutely. Let's get more flair. I want 15 pieces. Yeah, it's like the, that's how kind of I feel about the EFMB. It's like if it's like convenient for me to do, and I know this like probably kind of goes against the ethos of what we talk about in Chronos Fit. Yeah, of like being you know doing a little bit extra, but uh, yeah, shame I, on you, shame, yeah. shame. I just have no desire to do it. Like it does not matter to me one bit, one iota. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I do spend a lot of my time on now, um, and if I was in the army, I don't think it would be any different. Uh, season four of Love is Blind is on Netflix. Um, you don't want... Okay, do you watch Vanderpump Rules? No, man. I don't watch any of that stuff. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for not calling it shit for a second there. I thought you were going to disparage it. Uh, do you watch The Bachelor? No. Oh, my God, dude. You missed out on a phenomenal, uh, as Zach would call it, sex week. Uh, it was a, a phenomenal, phenomenal memed out experience. Um, do you watch Next Level Shep with Gordon Ramsay? I don't watch any of these things. Top Chef on Bravo. No. We we just finished watching The Last of Us, and then we always watch Sopranos. Sopranos is like running loop around the house. Last of Us, like the the one with the the chick that sang back in the. No, 
Pedro Pascal. Oh, and, oh, 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 oh. Okay, what's the one that I was thinking about on... This is uh, Us. This is Us, okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. Something about us, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last uh, of Us, um, I, I stopped watching. I thought it was pretty good. I... Again, I I read the, the like the spoilers of what the game plot is because they haven't you know like changed too much of it. I don't. It's just I do this. I'm sorry. I do this to myself. What's wrong with you? I I just thought there'd be more zombies. It doesn't sound like the the zombie menace is as much as the you know human drama that the the show develops. It should just be about zombies. Okay, did we talk about this yet? We are going to sign off. That show is so fucking illogical. There is no fucking way those things. One, survive in, in like the Northeast. Anywhere where it gets cold, those things are dead. That was the whole thing. Like they, they, it was able to make the jump into humans because, you know, the, the fungi evolved to be able to, you know, uh, uh, survive at our temperature. Okay, well, if they survive at our temperature and our fucking body drops specifically to like, you know, exterior factors like negative 30 degrees or sub-zero temperatures like Boston would get, that fungus is dead too. So how do these things last for years? Second question, if they eat everything, right? Like say there's that general period where they've eaten all that they can eat. The human body that this thing that the fungus is, is living through still needs water, still needs nutrients. I don't think that that thing like, you know, transition to photosynthesizing itself and, and pulling water like moss from, you know, from the, the trees that they get stuck to. And then Years later, they're living sub underground, like in St. Louis, and they just pop out and they are physically strong, freakishly fast. Bullshit. That whole I just poke so many holes in that in that storyline. I can't watch. It's a TV show. One, two. It doesn't have to make sense. You have to turn off the brain. It's like the Mandalorian, uh, Star Wars. Army of, hello. The, Army of the Dead made sense. Yeah, Army of the Dead made sense. It made a ton Ooh, of sense. That's did you what watch Army in of Vegas. Thieves? Oh wait, wait. That's the one I'm. Oh no, that was the precursor, the right? The precursor with the German. Dude. I did not watch that. No, it's pretty good. I thought it was entertaining. Okay, yeah, but see, Army of the Dead made sense because all these zombies got stuck outside in the desert sun, and then they were like, "Look it, they just baked to death. They are just dead, and there's only a handful that are alive, and it's the idiots that try to go in and you know grab a quick fortune from the vaults of Vegas that got eaten that helps sustain these bodies, and there's a, a element of like you know alien." Uh, 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 maybe genome, you know, because there are several points in the movie that like alien ships are seen both at the beginning and at the end. So yeah. Yeah. At the very beginning when the convoy is rolling down um, right before it, they flip, there are two UFOs that are in the, like the top right corner of the screen that like zoom out of frame. There's a whole, there's a whole alien like subcomponent to that movie. I never noticed that. Of course you didn't because you're not, like a total idiot like I am like you you wouldn't but like that that movie is plausible to me uh walking dead not plausible there's no way again you gotta sustain the human body after a while just like a corpse that thing is falling apart dead like the brain it's not like the brain just stays fucking fully functioning you know firing on all cylinders without any source of nutrition from the body so again if there was a mass zombie apocalypse you just need to stay in a bunker in the Northeast for like one cold season. After that, you're good. <laughs> Nothing else is coming up there. Fucking move to Alaska. Move to the tundra in Canada. Sure, you're going to have to deal with a lot of zombies in the first year that speak Quebec-y or, you know, speak some bastardized version of French-Canadian. 
hit them with a hockey stick the next season if they've not thawed out, you're good. Yeah, but they thaw out and come back after they thaw out, though. Why, though? The human, the, the body is but they're dead. Not human. That's the whole point. They, they are human. They are sourced from humans. It's not like, you know, they just stuck this weird, like, into their brain and it was where I was like, oh, I'm. I'm more than human. I am better. Like, I, you, I, you are still human to the core. The bones are still made out of calcium. You still need blood to pump through your muscles in order to move. But so it I doesn't. think there we. They don't. Though. You should do. You do. They don't. Just like. Okay, so what's triggering that that synapse to control the muscles? The fungi. The fungi, and what does the fungi get its you know source of energy from? The human body. And how does the human body get its source of energy? It doesn't need to get energy. It's why they die after a while. Oh. Um, no, the but they don't die after a while. That's the whole fucking they point of the show. They've been out there for years. But for they years. Die at, some point. at some point they die. The, like the second episode, it shows these idiots laying on the ground in Boston and like, you know, the little green moss gets tickled and go, Whoa, I'm awake. Oh, and I'm, now I'm full of energy. I'm ready to hunt. You've been laying on the ground for the last six months, idiot. You're not sprinting. All right. All right. I think it's a good show, but The Sopranos is a good show. Better show. Speaking. That's realistic. We live in Jersey. That's a hundred percent the truth. We live in North Jersey, so that's like really. I live in, so I'm even more into it. I've, I, you know, what? the first thing that I did when uh, I convinced my wife that yeah, we're gonna stay in Jersey, I bought her a tracksuit. I bought her an Adidas tracksuit because track that's what everybody wears. If you don't live in Jersey. There's no normal people here. Everyone's in velour tracksuits. Everyone drives like Lincoln Navigate Navigators or the Lincoln Town Cars that are super long. There's a cannoli shop on every single corner. Um, everybody's mom's mozzarella meatball sauce is the best. That's all we eat here. That and spaghetti. It's all about spaghetti and cannolis. Don't gravy. let anyone from New Jersey tell you. Yeah, that and diners. There's a ton oh, of diners. I miss diners. Yeah. I miss having diners around. I can't find Scrapple. I've had Scrapple in like two years. I need Scrapple. Oh, I just had Scrapple a couple weekends ago. Dude, Scrapple's awesome. Yeah, everything but the oink, baby. I love Scrapple. Yeah, if you're not from this area, you don't know. Yeah, if you don't know, you don't know. And if you're from this area and you drive a Dodge Ram or a Ford Raptor, I'm on to you. I don't like you. (laughs) All right. I think that... (laughs) I think we got... Let's wrap it up at this point. Uh, Okay. But yeah, so I'll be back in two weeks. So we'll be back in two weeks. We'll be we'll back in two James weeks. We'll be back. Um, Maybe find a zombie show that doesn't suck in two weeks. Yeah, I mean, technically not zombies. It's like a fungi, fungus infestation. Technically not zombies. It's a parasite that requires the same kind of energy to survive as every other living organism. This isn't, you know, uh, it. Uh, you know, and they're in the Arctic, you know, like, we're not, not, is it the it or the thing? Or is it the thing? What the fuck? Mm. Another sci-fi. Predator. Yeah, there's a alien versus predator where they're like in Alaska or whatever. Oh, the new, we always want to wrap this up. The new predator on Hulu or it's not new, it's a year old and it's set like, that is badass. That is one of the best predator movies. I honestly think that it's better than the Donald Glover uh, Predator. I think it is like second only to the original Predator. I just uh, don't understand how this girl who... 
Well, she didn't get her shit handed to her. Like, one, they sneak up on her and they beat the shit out of her as a group. Um, she didn't have her weapon on her. She wasn't going to kill them. Um, and it's only after, you know, talking with her brother and seeing the, you know, confidence that he has in her that she went, okay, like, no, I really can do this. Like, I am my own person. I'm going to thrive. I'm going to survive. I think it is such a universal story. Um, though, if this, if this predator had the technology, um, that the predators in uh, the jungles of South America had against Arnold, uh, she would stand no fucking chance. Zero, not a zilch. Also, what's up with the uh, the axe on like a leash? Oh, that that's makes badass. No that makes no what sense. What do you mean it makes no sense, <laughs> dude? You and I have watched so many kung fu movies. They have the exact same fucking but weapon. It's kung fu. It's kung fu. Oh, okay, okay. So because someone else does it. It's not realistic. Exactly. Okay. It's not. Okay. You know what? Not. You know what we talk about on the next one is the uh, fight sequence where Jackie Chan just happens to like put tables full over guys and they can't move their arms and then he takes like a jug and puts it on their head, That's kicks them in the head. That's realistic. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted realistic. to make sure we're on the same That's page. That's hundred percent realistic. <laughs> okay. Immobilizes right. them. Blinds them. It does. Kicks yeah. them in the head. Yeah, but but throwing uh, an axe with a a rope attached is just too much for you. That's not realistic. How is it not realistic? The physics behind throwing something with a leash on it. And then pulling it back. Yeah, it would go like five feet, pulling the rope behind it. What do you mean it would go five feet? I can take a rope, put it on an axe, chuck that axe. It goes maybe 15, 20 feet, and then I want it back. I'm going to pull the rope. Yeah, but the whole, but it loses so much energy when it's dragging the rope behind it. That's not going to do anything to the target. It might hit okay. it. What we should do now is I'm going to ask that somebody in the Pacific Northwest find you, make you stand 10 feet away with an axe with a rope connected to it. You stand there and tell them it's not going to do anything. <laughs> that'll be the episode 69. Like that'll be our, you know, our hit season finale. Like you have to take the axe throw. All right. Fine, put it out there. And and then you can apply the four C's of care to your body. Like, you'll be trained. But they're not like 10 feet away. It's like a moving target. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Dude, in the Great Wall, Matt Damon and Pedro Pascal balance two cups with two arrows. That's realistic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's realistic. Great Wall is a great Maybe. movie. Don't you slander yeah. that movie. Yeah, it, no, it's real. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's part of China's history. I, I, uh, you know, I, I know the the Great Revolution tried to sweep a lot of you know that part of its history from everyone. But we know, we know there were aliens. We, we know why that wall was built. It wasn't the Mongolians they were protecting themselves from. It was the giant reptilian beasts. Good movie. Anyways, uh, with that, we'll catch you guys next time. Peace. Later.